Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are continuing our series. We're in part three of our series called He Shall Be Called. Uh, Last week, my my wife, Pastor Kim, she shared the word with us and uh, part two and did a great job. And I would encourage you, if you missed it, you go back and listen to the podcast or watch the video. If you're watching a show on Netflix or a streaming service of any kind, you don't skip an episode. You go back and you get caught up because you want to know what's going on. And that's the way I would like you to approach the series because this builds on each other. Uh, Every week is part of the next week. And so if you missed last week or the week before, go back and get caught up. Um, This series is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah is speaking here, and he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so what we're doing with this series is we're systematically just walking through the names for the Messiah. So the prophet Isaiah, they were living in a day and age where there was a lot of turmoil, there was a lot of difficulty, there were a lot of challenges geopolitically, there were a lot of challenges uh, between different ethnicities and races, there there were challenges with their king and leadership, Uh, there were challenges from government authorities outside and inside, there were all kinds of challenges that caused people to wonder, what does my future look like? that caused people to wonder what tomorrow held for them. And so there was a lot of question about that in their hearts and minds, and God speaks to that through the prophet Isaiah, and he basically says, no matter what today looks like, I see where you're at, and I'm sending a Messiah for you. Uh, And this is what he will look like. This is what he will be called. And he lists names, basically, of who the Messiah will be. And so we talked about the fact that he's a wonderful counselor. Uh, Last week, Kim talked about the fact that he's a mighty God. And this week, I wanna talk to you for a few minutes about the fact that he is an everlasting father. One of my favorite jobs, now I've got, I'm the pastor of Summit Church. I lead um, our rural church network called the Back 40 Network. Um, I, I have an opportunity to speak at times at other churches or places, and all those things are great, but my favorite title or job is that of husband and father. When I first came to Summit, uh, I was actually interviewing with the board, and I, I, we were talking about expectations, and, and I said to the board, I said, guys, I want you to know something. Someone else can pastor Summit Church. So I want you to know that's important. If I become the pastor, I want to pastor really well. I'm gonna work really hard. But I hope no one else is ever the husband to my wife or the father to my kids. So if I ever have to pick which one of these is going to win, it's going to be my family every day of the week. Because somebody else can pastor this church and probably better than I could. So if, if I've got to pick one, it's going to be this one. So I take a lot of pride in, in trying to be a good father. And I don't always succeed. I'm, I'm better sometimes than others. My daughter's on the front row and she could attest to that probably. This morning she was so disappointed with me because we were on the way to church. And uh, we stopped and ran an errand and we were almost to the church. And she said something about she was hungry. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me? We just stopped at Dunkin'. Dad, you should have told me we could stop at Duncan. I said, well, this is a learning moment for you, right? You just learned something. You asked not, or you have not because you asked not. You should have asked, and I would have given it to you, right? And at that moment, if you had asked my daughter if I was a good father, she would have said, absolutely not. He's a horrible father. 
he's stolen Duncan from me in this moment. Uh, but there are times that my kids would probably say that I'm a little lacking as a dad, but I'll tell you, I work really hard to be a good father because I want to set a good model for what their expectations are for their husband someday. I've told them, I told my girls, if your husbands love you half as much as I do, you're gonna get a great guy because I want them to know they can't imagine how much I love them as a father. And what we see in scripture is uh, this word father in the Aramaic, uh, it's pronounced ah, A-W-E, just like we would say ah, like awesome, but it's spelled A-B. And so this word in the Aramaic, it means father, like a parent or dad, uh, but that's not the limitation. So when we look at Jesus as an everlasting father, it can be a little confusing because we think about it in Trinitarian terms. So at Summit Church, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, that, that they are one, but they are separate. They function in different roles. So we don't believe, we don't worship multiple gods. We have one God. It's, it is God. Uh, but there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this and we see Jesus, the Messiah, as the everlasting Father, I don't want you to be confused by this because I don't believe it means that he is taking the place of God um, because there are multiple meanings to what Father is here. So it can be a father as a parent or it might be a head or founder of a group or family or clan, a ruler or chief of a household. An ancestor could be a grandfather or some sort of progenitor up the line somewhere. Uh, it could be a producer or generator. So uh, even someone who produces something, manufactures something, could be called the father of that. Um, someone who shows benevolence or protection can be called the father because this is something a father does. A father takes care of, loves their children, provides for their kids, protects their kids. We also see that it can just be a term of respect or honor for someone that throughout scripture we see people called father even though they aren't genetically connected because it's a sense of honor. And so when we look at this name, this title that Jesus is or the Messiah would be an everlasting father, I want you to understand uh, that it, it doesn't mean literally he will take the place of God. What it's saying is that uh, he is he's showing us the character of God. Sam Storms pastors a great church in Oklahoma City and he said this, uh, he said, this description, everlasting father, is a descriptive analogy pointing to Christ's character. He is fatherly, fatherlike in his treatment of us. So because we see Jesus treat us well, we have an idea of how our heavenly father is. We get a glimpse of who our heavenly father is through that. What we see in the Old Testament, have you ever noticed when you look at the lineage of someone in the Old Testament, you see their father's names. Very rarely do you see the, the mom's names. And one of the reasons this is, we, we tend to, in our Western society, think that it was just um, some sort of tool to keep women down, and that wasn't necessarily the case. One of the things we see is that the nation of Israel was birthed in the captivity of Egypt. Um, this nation rose up. They were started as a family, became a clan, a people group, and eventually they were born as a nation within the confines of the captivity of Egypt. <clears throat> and one of the things they saw in Egypt was a culture that was very different than the one they hoped to foster in their own people. Um, what we see in the culture of Egypt at that time was that people were very promiscuous. So even if you were married, it was not uncommon for you to have multiple sexual partners. Did it just get awkward when I said sexual partners in the room? <laughs> You're like, we're not supposed to talk about this on Sunday morning. It's too close to Christmas. Um, so what would happen is uh, men and women, even if they were married, would have multiple partners. 
Now, it was easy for people to identify who their mothers were, but sometimes it was difficult to identify who their fathers were. And, and because of this, uh, Egyptian men were very, very hesitant to provide for, protect, or take care of uh, their kids unless they absolutely knew for sure who their kids were. And even when that happened, they were disconnected relationally. Uh, there was the, the caregiving, the nurturing, the parenting was left to the mother, and the father would simply uh, help provide for, and that was basically it. So what we see is the, the Israelites saw this culture that was the predominant culture around them, and for them they said, we don't want to look like that. And God said, I have a better way for you than that. And so one of the things, even in today's modern day, statistics say that Jewish couples have a much higher fidelity rate in marriage than non-Jewish couples. And it's because part of that goes all the way back to this. Um, so what we see is that, that Jewish couples understood that it's our responsibility to, eat, to love each other well and to raise our kids well. And that's one of the reasons you see uh, throughout Scripture and even into modern day, uh, Jewish fathers take a, a, high, a, high, a high view of what it means to be a dad. They, they want to be hands-on. They want to approach their kids in a way that they lead them well, uh, and they train them well, but they are actively part of their lives. And so what we see is this is God's plan for us. This is God's hope for us. And what we see in Scripture, and I will even say this, what we see around us, we see glimpses of who God the Father is. Whenever you see a good dad, have you ever seen a good dad and you're like, man, that's a good dad. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it's a dad you've seen in public. Maybe it was a friend of yours that you just went, man, what a great father that is. Now, this is what I want you to understand. I believe that there are glimpses of God the Father in the fathers around you, that you see glimpses of him in those moments. Um, and I will tell you, um, on my best day, when I'm functioning on all cylinders, firing on all cylinders, everything's good, my attitude's right, my heart was good with God, I'm treating my girls well, I'm, I'm balanced, I'm healthy, I am at best a glimpse of how good our Heavenly Father is. So there's a couple things I want to share with you. I think a good father is a father of, number one, provision. I think a good father knows how to take care of his kids. Um, when I was younger and when some of you were younger, the idea was that the fathers were to provide for the families, and that might be where their responsibility ended. Well, I put a, put a roof over your head, you put your feet under my table, I give you food, what else do you expect? Thankfully, that shifted a little bit today. What we see statistically, the average, the average father who lives in the home with his children uh, spends about eight hours a week with his kids. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot compared to a mom, and a mom spends about 14 hours a week it, 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 with her kids, but it's, that eight hours is about three times more than fathers were spending with their kids just 15 or 20 years ago. So the amount of time dads are spending with their kids is going up. So they understand that it's not just about provision. It's not just about working a job and paying the bills. Uh, what scripture says is that if you don't pay the bills and take care of your family as a, as a man, that you are worse than an unbeliever. I just want you to hear that. I don't want that to sink in for a second. Um, it actually, scripture actually says if you don't work that you shouldn't eat. So what we see is there's this responsibility on godly men to work hard to provide for and take care of their family. Uh, Matthew 7:11 says this, and Jesus is talking, he says, if you then who are evil, he's talking about us, that 
ultimately our hearts are evil if they're unrepentant before the Lord. If you who are evil know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, Emma, you have to ask him. If you don't ask for Duncan, you ain't getting Duncan, baby, I'm telling you. (laughs) But Jesus is saying, our Heavenly Father knows how to provide, how to take care of his children. He wants to, that is his job, because a good father is a a father of provision. The second thing we see is this, and this isn't very popular, but a good father is a father of correction. Hebrews chapter 12, I won't read this whole passage. I'm gonna read verses seven and eight though. Verses seven and eight said this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So, so what we see the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, if God is not disciplining you, that means you're not his child because God disciplines those he loves. Now in the world we live in today, we think that if we're in conflict with someone or if we disagree with someone, we must hate them, right? If you're a Republican, then you must hate Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you must hate Republicans. If you're white, you must hate black people. If you're a police officer, if you're a woman, if you're whatever, then you must be at total odds. There's no way that you can disagree with someone and love them. And this even comes to correction. Because we, many times we believe if I'm corrected, it must mean that you don't love me, that you don't care about me, that, that you're judging me. And I've used this analogy before. <clears throat> I don't know about you. Uh, does anybody remember paper maps? <laughs> remember that? And you'd have to drive and you'd pull over on the side of the road and then try to like decipher where you are and you've got like a chart of the stars and you're like trying to, right? You're, you have, it's impossible. And I knew how to get around before I had my GPS on my phone. Now that I've got the GPS, I don't even pay attention where I'm going. I just let it tell me where to go. Does anybody else do that? You just turn off your brain. Oh, it's ridiculous. But you know what I've never done? I've never taken the wrong turn and blamed the GPS. Because that's what we do. (laughs) I, as the pastor of this church, I don't shy away from correcting conversations if we have to have them. And I don't love them, I don't rush to them, but at the same time, um, I will correct people if I feel like we need to, if there's biblical inerrancy. And so I try to have a a loving, biblical truth, uh, you know, a biblical conversation in love. Anyway, um, but what happens sometimes is they'll get mad at me. And this is what I want you to understand. The GPS, there's no reason to get mad at the GPS. The GPS is just trying to get you to your chosen destination. You've said, here's where I want to go. And the GPS is saying, well, if you want to get there, you've got to go a different direction. If, you're, if you keep going the direction you're going, you're not going to end up where you said you want to go. And this is what correction is. Correction, especially from a godly person, a parent, um, a pastor, some sort of authority figure in your life, they're not trying to crush you. They're trying to help you get to your chosen destination. And just like you don't take your phone and go, stupid phone, you throw it out the window, trying to tell me how to live my life. That's what we do with people. We think people are being mean to us, they're being hateful to us, but what we don't understand is this. God, the principle of God is, if he loves you, if you are his son, if you are his daughter, he's going to correct you because he loves you. If, if I didn't love my girls, I wouldn't correct them. 
I love them, so I don't want them to make the same stupid mistakes they do now when they're 20 years old or 30 years old, when they're in the workplace, when they've got a family of their own to raise. I don't want them to think the same way. So when I see them getting off path, I go, no, 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 no. Hey, if you keep going the way you're going, you're not gonna get to your chosen destination. And I'm telling you, as much as I want that for my kids, God wants it for his kids, for you even more. So our God is a good God. He is a good father, and he is a father who corrects. Third thing is this, he's a father of affection. <clears throat> I tell my girls often how much I love them. Uh, I don't hide that from them. I don't make them earn it. I try to make sure I tell them every single day how much I love them. Uh, when they were younger, I don't do it as much anymore. I don't think it's cool. Uh, and I don't think they think it's cool. But when they were younger, especially when they were little, I would, I would take their face in my hands, their chubby cheeks, and I would squeeze them, pull them close to me, and I'd look them right in the eye, and I would say, Daddy is crazy about you. I'd hold them there for a second, because I wanted them to hear that, I wanted them to know that. I love you like crazy. And there's a story in Scripture, and we won't read it today. It's from Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells a story about a man who has, is a wealthy man. He has kids, and one of his kids says, hey, uh, he's rebellious. His heart is hard. And he says, hey, give me my fortune. And he leaves. He leaves home, and he goes and he blows it basically on drugs and prostitutes. And he's hit rock bottom, and he decides, at least if I went home, I could be a slave in my dad's house. Now, our relationship's gonna be changed. I'm not gonna be his son anymore. I'm just gonna be a slave, but at least I could eat if I went back. I'd have a place to live. And so he goes home, and the scripture tells us while he was still off at a great distance, his father saw him and ran and met him, and he put a robe on him, and he put a ring on his finger, and he put shoes on his feet. And all these things are symbolic, and we won't get into all that today. But what we see here is a father, this picture of a father who doesn't care how far his son has gone, the mistakes he's made, uh, how he's disgraced the family, and how he's disgraced his religion. All those things are, are secondary to this father because his father is so passionately in love with his son. And what we see here is a picture of a father who loves his child so much, it doesn't matter how far they've run, how far they've gone, they cannot escape the love of the father. And the second he saw his son on the horizon, he ran to meet him. And this is a picture of our Heavenly Father. It doesn't matter how far we run, how far we go, how much we disgrace the, the religion or the family or any of those kind of things, our Father doesn't care. He just cares about you. He loves you. And the second you turn toward him, we call that repentance, when we turn from our ways, the second we repent, he's watching for us on the horizon. He will run to you. I've told my girls, they've seen situations in our church or things that have gone on. My girls have asked me, Daddy, what if that happened to me? What if I did that? What would you do? What would you say? Well, I would love you because I don't care what you do. I don't care, I don't care what decisions you make. Yeah. God forbid, if you ever renounced your faith, if you ever started living in a crazy, ungodly way, I'd still love you like crazy. That doesn't change how I love you. I'm still gonna pray for you. I'm still gonna be your dad. And this is how our Father loves us. He loves us with an unconditional love. See, we think <clears throat> that we've gotta get ourselves cleaned up, that, that if once I make myself right, once I make myself lovable, then God will love me. 
We're not lovable because we make ourselves lovable. We're lovable because God loves us. I'm telling you, you don't have to fix yourself to make yourself lovable by God. God loves you. He's a God, he's a father of affection. <clears throat> and the last thing is this, he's a God who provides life. <clears throat> Just like the parents provide life for the child, God has provided life for us. But it doesn't stop there. A good father should be a father that provides an abundant life for his kids. And I don't mean stuff, but I mean a richness or a fullness. What we see is our heavenly father doesn't want us just to exist until we go to heaven. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And he's not talking about heaven someday. He's talking about earth now. I want you to experience an abundant life right now. And I know for my girls, I want them to experience an abundant life, a life that's rich and full and exciting. And I want them to see everything that God's got for them. And that's who our God is. He wants you to experience life. Now, I said before, I think the best father on their best day can only offer you a glimpse of who God really is, is our heavenly father. Uh, Abby, my oldest daughter, likes to take pictures. And there's been times that she'll be describing a picture to me. She'll show me something. I'll go, oh, that's cool. And she'll go, yeah, but it, I couldn't really get this. You can't really see this because the lighting or the filter, the lens, whatever it is, she'll describe it. And what she's really saying is this doesn't, this doesn't show you how beautiful the, the reality is. It's like a, a low-resolution photo. It's kind of grainy. You don't, you don't get the whole picture. And, and this is what I'm telling you. <clears throat> The very best father on their very best day doesn't show you the reality of how good our heavenly father is. Paul talks about it this way. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, now we see in a mirror dimly. And I've got three girls in my house, and I know when they're looking in a mirror, they, they don't keep the lights low. Does anybody else understand what I'm talking about? They turn lights on, like floodlights, like shoom, like come on. <laughs> They want to see what's going on in the mirror. And what Paul's describing here is he says, hey, we, right now we're looking in a mirror dimly. So we don't see the whole thing. We don't have full understanding. But he says someday, and he's talking about heaven, we're going to see face to face. So we have limited understanding right now. Someday we'll have full understanding. And this is what I want you to know. Um, when, we, when we see a father around us and we go, man, what a good dad. I want you to stop and understand that on his best day, he can't hold a candle to how good our Heavenly Father is. I've told you this before. The world we live in is the broken version. So the most beautiful things you've ever seen are the broken version of what God originally intended because sin had entered the world. So the best father you see is the broken down version of how good our Heavenly Father really is. How loving, how faithful, how incredibly awesome he really is. He is a good father. What we see in the world is that there are too many people that don't have a good father. According to, to NPR, National Public Radio, 25 million children in the United States live in a home where their father is not present. That equates to one out of every three children in the U.S. don't have access to their father. Seven out of every 10 youth that are housed in in-state uh, in operated uh, correctional facilities come from a father's home. So 70% of, of teenagers or kids in a correctional facility don't have a father in the home. Children from father's homes account for 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. 
85% of all children who exhibit some type of behavioral disorder come from a fatherless home, again, from the U.S. Department of Justice. 90% of youth in the United States who decide to run away from home or become homeless for any reason originally come from a fatherless home. So what we see is the, the lack of a father, lack of a relationship with a father, or lack of knowing your father can have all these impacts in our physical, emotional world. Now, if you're a single mom or even a single dad, because we have some single dads in our church, I don't want you to think this is a sentence on your life. Your children are not doomed to this because I believe if Jesus is in your home, he can redeem that situation. He can bring wholeness and health. So, so I believe that. But what we see here in the natural, in the, in the culture around us, is when there's a lack of a father, and the Jewish people understood that, when there's a lack of a father influencing the life, it, there's going to be negative ramifications. There's going to be be natural consequences for that. And, and the Jewish people said, we're not going to live that way. We want our culture to be different. And this is what I would tell you today. Spiritually, there are ramifications for us if we don't know who our father is. If we're living a life absent our spiritual father, there are implications in our life. There are, there are negative consequences in our life. Well, we see this other word in this phrase, everlasting father. I love this word everlasting because it means in perpetuity forever. It means without end. Some of you have been in relationships where the relationship ended for one reason or another. I tell our staff all the time, every relationship in your life is seasonal. There's a season where it comes to an end. And if we understand every relationship is seasonal, when that season ends, uh, I think it helps us cope with that a little better. Even, even my wife, I love her. And someday I will die. And our relationship will end. That season will be over with. But what we see is our relationship with God is not like that. There is no season with God. Because it is everlasting, there is no end to his love for us, to his com commitment to us, to his faithfulness to us. There is no end. But listen to this. There is no beginning either. It's without end and it's without beginning so I loved my daughters from the first moment I knew my wife was pregnant with them. Before she was pregnant with them, I knew I would love my daughters. But the moment I knew that, that she was pregnant, I loved, I was in love with my girls. Listen to this. God felt that way about you before the beginning of time. God loved you and he anticipated you in your life. And just like a parent is decorating the room for their baby that's about to come and they're thinking about names, and they've got plans, God is, was dreaming about you before the beginning of time. It's interesting because what we see in Isaiah, Isaiah has no real concept of what's going on, but he says that the coming Messiah would be an everlasting father. And what he's saying is there's a baby that's going to be born, and he doesn't know the time frame, but what we see is there's a baby that's going to be born in 700 years, and when he's born, he's going to be the eternal father, the everlasting father. And what he's saying is he will be the father of time, the, the master of time. This is who he is. How absurd is this for a man to prophesy this and say that this baby is going to show up and be the father of time, the master of time. But that's who he is. He is a father who is eternal, that loves us before time began and after time ends, he will still love us. 
I don't read the news much or watch the news much just because, quite frankly, uh, usually I feel worse after I do. Does anybody else relate to that a little bit? And this last week I read two stories in the news and uh, they were heartbreaking. Um, One story I read was uh, from Atlanta. It was in the national news. Uh, There was a 14-year-old boy, special needs, uh, nonverbal. He was found outside in an Atlanta hospital. And a nurse from the hospital went outside on break, and she noticed this young man, and she noticed something doesn't seem right with him, something seemed wrong, and so she went to him to talk to him, and he's nonverbal, so they couldn't communicate, he was having a hard time. She, she knew, okay, there's something wrong here, so she took him in, tried to help him find his family, never could, couldn't figure out what was going on, and so they went back and looked at security footage, and in security footage, they see a woman walked in with a young man into the emergency room, left him, and then walks back out and gets in a red minivan and drives away. And so in an effort to find where this young man belongs, they publicized this security footage in the, the local media, and uh, and very quickly, some people responded, and they said they could identify the woman and the boy, and come to find out, the 14-year-old boy was dropped at the hospital by his mother. His mother intended on leaving him and never coming back for him. And when she was questioned by police later why she did this, she said, I just felt overwhelmed. I couldn't do it any longer. And someone else could take care of him better than I could. Legally, she abandoned him. And she's facing criminal charges for that now. I read another story earlier in the week about two children, a five-year-old and an 18-month-old in Alaska. And these kids um, were in a very remote area of Alaska This little town only had about 160 people in this remote area. And these children were left at their home for an undetermined amount of time. Authorities aren't even sure how long they had been there by themselves. And the five-year-old was doing its best to take care of the 18-month-old when the power went out in their house. And like any five-year-old, they were afraid. So they scooped up the 18-month-old and walked a half a mile to the neighbor's house. The problem is it was 31 below zero when they made that walk. So they're both going to survive, but they both had physical issues from that. They were both underdressed for that. And today that woman, is, their mother is being held responsible, criminally responsible for that. This is what I know. We live in a world where maybe you haven't been abandoned in that way. Maybe you haven't been left at the hospital. Maybe you haven't been left at home with nobody to supervise you or take care of you or protect you. But I think all of us relate to being abandoned. All of us relate to being forgotten about. All of us relate to being neglected in some way or another. And maybe your family was in the home. Maybe you had a dad in the house, but maybe your dad was disconnected, distant, unloving, uncaring, didn't really care what you did or didn't do. So maybe it would have been better if they weren't in the home. Maybe your family wasn't in the home. Maybe they actually literally abandoned you. But this is what I know. God is an everlasting father. Charles Spurgeon said this, there is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. 
He is everlastingly a father to those who trust him. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is describing to his followers he's going to ascend into heaven. And he says, I have to go so that God can send the helper to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And I need to go away so the Holy Spirit can come. But he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come back for you. I'm, I'm thinking about you. So just know I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not neglecting you. I'm going to come to you. In John chapter 6, verse 37 from the New Living Translation, Jesus says this, However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Maybe you felt rejected. Maybe you felt like, if I just achieve enough, if I do enough athletically, if I do enough academically, if I just, if I just behave enough, then maybe I can earn their affection. Then maybe I won't be rejected. Maybe then... I'll be affirmed and loved and noticed. I want to remind you, we don't have to achieve a thing for God. God loved us on our worst day, not on our best day. We, we can't do anything to earn God's love. What a beautiful love that is. Psalm 2710 from the New Living Translation says this, even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. Even if the people that should love me don't love me. Even if the people that should accept me reject me. Even if the people who should affirm me turn their back on me. And what my, my eternal father is going to pull me close. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and he rescues those that are crushed in spirit. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you've been rejected, you've been hurt, you've been disappointed by family members, by parents, by a father. They've been distant. They've done things unintentionally to hurt you or maybe intentionally to hurt you. And you feel like you're isolated, you're alone. I want you to know something. I've got good news for you today. When we are at our worst, God is at his best. When we're at our lowest, that's when God comes alongside us. That scripture tells us God draws near to the brokenhearted. So when we feel crushed, he rescues us and he scoops us up and he pulls us close to him. That's who our eternal father is. Psalm chapter 68 Verses five and six in the Passion Translation say this. I love this. To the fatherless, he is a father. To the widow, he is a champion friend. To the lonely, he makes them part of a family. To the prisoners, he leads into prosperity until they sing for joy. This is our holy God in his holy place. This is what our God does. This is how he functions. This is just who he is. So if you're here today and you feel like you're fatherless, I want you to know something. He will be a father to you. If you're here today and you're a widow and you're alone, he, he wants to be your champion friend, not just your best friend. He wants to be the best friend you could ever imagine. If you're lonely today, he's gonna make you part of a family. And the prisoners... He leads them into prosperity, prosperity until they sing songs of joy. See, what God does is he flips the script. 
He says, I see where you're at, and I'm going to change everything around entirely. So Christmas is a season that we celebrate. We get together with friends and family, and there's laughing and smiles and all the stuff that comes with Christmas. But the reality is many people don't look at Christmas that way at all. Many people look at Christmas with a heavy heart because they think about people they've lost. Whether through death, maybe through divorce, maybe through broken relationships, maybe through dysfunctional or unhealthy relationships. They think of what they lack and they don't see a happy family. They don't see family gatherings. They just see isolation. They see loneliness. What I want you to know today is I want to encourage you in this. One of the names of Jesus, the Messiah, when Isaiah was comforting the nation, he was saying to them, hey, just wait. There's somebody on his way. And when he gets here, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. So no matter what your father has looked like, how good or bad your father may have been, whether he was in your home every day showing you attention and affection, or, or maybe he wasn't, maybe he was not even in the picture, I'm telling you today that we have a God who is an everlasting father for you. He's never going to leave you or abandon you. He's never going to reject you. He's never going to tell you you weren't good enough. You should have tried harder. He's never, ever, ever going to treat you that way. He loves you. He's for you. So spiritually speaking, I would tell you this. Ask the Holy Spirit today. If you're lonely, if you're isolated, show me some people who can be my family. Here at Summit Church, we talk about family of birth and family of choice. You don't have any choice who your family is, <laughs> right? For better or worse, you don't have any choice. So when you go to a family Christmas gathering and there's people there that you're like, ooh, you're born into that. We believe here at Summit Church, there's family of choice. There's people that you get to choose to say, these are my family. And if you don't have that, we want to help you find that. About a month from now, we're going to open up small groups, maybe six weeks from now, we're going to open up small groups here at Summit for the spring semester. And I want to challenge you, if you feel lonely at all, if you feel disconnected at all, if you feel like you don't have a family of choice, then we want to help you find that. We will help you get connected to a group that you can find family. There are, there are men and women in this church that are willing to be a spiritual father or mother to you. We'll help you find that. But I want you to know something today. If you're here today and you feel hurt and isolated and alone, our Heavenly Father is a father to the fatherless. He is an eternal father, and he's here for you. He's not going to walk away from you. He's not going to abandon you, and you don't have to earn his love. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for loving us with a love that we can't understand. God, we receive it, but even in receiving it, we don't fully understand how big it is or why you would love us, but we thank you for it. God, I thank you for those that are here, and maybe they're hurting today. Maybe they've been isolated. Maybe they've been rejected. Maybe they've been abandoned, and maybe it's not like the stories I told, but the rejection and the abandonment is just as real for them. 
I pray right now you'd minister in them. I pray that you'd bring healing to them. I pray that you'd bring restoration to their hearts. God, I pray that you'd help them see that you are an eternal father, that you are in control of the situation, and that no matter what has been done to them or what has been spoken over them, today we can break that in the name of Jesus. So God, I pray for healing. I pray for wholeness in this place. I pray for, for restoration in relationships. God, I pray for, for relationships that can't be restored. Lord, I pray that you would be a tangible force in their life, that they would sense and feel that you are acting as their father. So God, minister there. God, I pray for those that are here today that don't know you, that they've never surrendered their lives to you, they've never made you Lord. Let today be the day that they surrender their life and make you Lord and truly make you Father. So God, have your way with us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you, if you're here today and you would say to me, Mel, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. I need to surrender it all to him. I need to experience God as my Father today in relationship, in intimacy. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward. I just wanna pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high and say, Mel, that's me. I need to experience the love of the Father today. Yeah, thank you on my left. Awesome, who else would say, Mel, pray for me today. Yeah, thank you on my far right, I see you. Praise God, just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these and say, yeah, pray for me. Include me in that prayer, Mel. I wanna make Jesus Lord. I wanna experience what that son experienced when he came home and his father ran to him. I want to experience that today. All right. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me out loud. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for giving your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, you are my father, and I am your child. Use my life for your glory. I repent from my ways, and I'm asking you to be God of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today, I want you to know it's the greatest decision you're ever going to make in your entire life. And we're proud of you, we're excited for you, and we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to take just a moment and fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, on that card, on one side it says need prayer, and the other side it says salvation. If you fill out the side of the card that says salvation, and then take it over to our information center when we finish here in just a moment, give it to them. They're gonna give you a new Bible, they're gonna help you on your journey and help you get started. And if you're watching online uh, and you prayed that with us today and you made Jesus Lord of your life, we wanna help you take the next step as well. So you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and we're gonna help you take the next step as well. We're gonna help you find a life-giving church in your area. So we're gonna send you some resources, but uh, we're gonna make sure you get connected to a great church in your area where you can begin to grow, grow in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, here's what's gonna happen right now. I wanna pray a final prayer over you as we're dismissed. And while I'm praying, I'm gonna invite our prayer team and some of our staff to come forward. And they'll be here at the front of the room. So when we say amen in just a moment and we're dismissed, if you need anyone, to, some of our team to pray with you about anything at all, no matter what it is, I would love for you to step out and come forward. So if you're here today, maybe there's some issues that, that we talked about today that you need God to bring some healing into your life about. Maybe it's an issue with a parent or father or mother, whatever it might be, and, and you just wanna see God bring some healing to you. I would love for you to let them pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you just need a physical healing in your life. You need God to touch you physically. 
we'll pray with you about that. You can walk out of here healed today in the name of Jesus. I really believe that. So let us pray with you in just a moment. So let me, let me just pray a final prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are so good. God, thank you that we can't even understand how good you are, how good a father you are, how you love us, how you care for us. But God, I pray that we would catch a glimpse of it. I pray as we walk out of here today, we would walk out of here in the identity that we are children of God, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God, and that we are loved desperately and passionately by you. God, let that give us a confidence and a boldness in our own lives that we can walk in authority knowing who you are. So God, I pray your blessing on us today as we walk out of this place, that we would walk in that authority as children of God, and I pray that we would remember this week that you are our eternal father. You never abandon us. You never reject us. So Lord, thank you for that promise. Thank you for who you are. And I pray that we would walk in that authority this week. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.